All right, everybody, welcome to the Deal Gen Podcast, where we talk to investors, entrepreneurs, and business titans about a wide range of topics and experiences. The Deal Gen Podcast is brought to you by Deal Gen Partners. Deal Gen Partners is the leading deal origination service on the market for private equity buyers. Deal Gen Partners combines their M&A and private equity experience with a proprietary method of multi-channel marketing services that they call the Bird Dog. This unique recipe generates transaction-ready deals at an unmatched pace and increases a private equity fund's chances of closing a deal by up to 10x. Reach out to DealGen Partners before you begin searching for your next investment. All right, everybody. On today's episode of the DealGen Podcast, I had Sean Flynn of Global Capital Markets on the show. Sean and I talk about his experience living and working in China and how that kind of came to be, um, what it was like, how the experience has molded into what he's doing today, um, which is, you know, basically working as an investment banker in the most active technology and probably startup ecosystem in the world, Silicon Valley. Uh, so Sean hosts his own podcast, um, the Silicon Valley podcast, and he's very tied into that ecosystem. And we talk about how, you know, not only is Silicon Valley itself so influential within the world of business and, and startups, but, um, you know, how it plays into his role as, you know, a capital markets uh, professional, as someone who's, you know, not only fundraising for uh, companies, but also helping them trade. So we talk about, you know, that, we talk about the world of M&A, we talk about where it is today, and um, it was very insightful, and Sean was an awesome guest, and I'm looking forward to, you know, having him back on at some point, and uh, so enjoy. Awesome, man. So, I mean, I'm glad to have you on the show. We kind of just, you know, we, we, we like to just fire it up here and, and, and get right into mm. it. So, um, so thanks for coming on, Sean, you know, really appreciate it. Really appreciate the time. Looking forward to, uh, diving in a little bit more. Um, so look, my first question for you, you know, and this doesn't necessarily have to do with what you're working on now, but I mm. think it will be, um, you know, a good way to, to get a little bit more of a background in yourself is, seems like you, you, you spent, you know, a, a good amount of your time uh, in your career over in China. So what was, mm. you know, the reason for um, moving over here, there? What was it like, um, you know, doing business and living over in that area? And then, you know, what inevitably led you to come back to um, the United States? Yeah, I mean, the idea to move over there, basically, I was, I graduated from college. I wanted to travel. I moved to Costa Rica for about two years while I was there. It was really interesting because there was a lot of call centers there that were in English and Spanish. And when I was there, it was between 2005, 2007, they were starting to open up call centers in Chinese. And I was looking at this going, oh my gosh, China's taken over the world. There's so much opportunity there. At the same time, my buddies from college, I mean, I did mechanical engineering. They were just complaining all day long about working 80 hour weeks. And I was in Costa Rica you know, going hiking every day, just having the time of my life. And I was like, why, why would I go back to the States, get this job that I would probably hate versus continuing this amazing journey? So I did go back to the States for a little while, worked for about six months, saved up some money, went to China then. So I missed the whole 2008 crash. When I was in China, I didn't feel it at all, which was crazy. But that led me to to China, just seeing and doing some research of, of this kind of behemoth growing and just thinking, gosh, if I could learn the language, the culture and everything I did in Costa Rica there, how many opportunities would that open up later in life? And so that brought me there. 
No. It's a good mindset, right? You know, it's, uh, you were kind of, I always am fascinated by people, you know, when they have that, it takes a certain level of maturity to kind of, you know, look at the landscape and look at where you're at in your life and, you know, kind of realize like, Hey, this is a, this is a period of time where I can make moves like this. I can, you know, kind of go out and explore the world. Um, I do not need to, you know, settle down and, and get my roots embedded somewhere just yet. Um, so let me go out and do that. And so I, I always, you know, it's not something that I personally, took advantage of. Um, and you know, not that I have any regrets, but at the same time, when I, when I hear stories like that, I'm always, um, you know, kind of fascinated by it and inspired by it because it's, it, like I said, it takes a lot of, you know, just self-awareness, right? Yeah. And, and then next part of your question was, what was it like working there? I'm telling you, there's nothing more of a love hate relationship. Like every day. I mean, imagine, I mean, you know what it's like building a business here in the States. Imagine working over in China or another country where you don't know the language, the culture is completely different and the values of the ways of doing business are hundred percent, 180 percent the opposite. I, it is, it was, you'd have highs and lows, things would go good, things would go bad, but the kind of challenge of all of it kept me there. And I mean, it was so interesting and, and Joe, I'm not sure about you, but if you see it for me, if I see a challenge, I just want to stop and go, okay, how can I, how can I complete this? You know, that, that, that obstacle in front of you, it encourages you to, to work harder, to do more, to get there. So, yeah, I mean, I think what, where it comes from is that, you know, you're capable of doing it. You know, it's like the frustration Mm -hmm. comes from, Hey, I, I know this has been challenging. It's, it's, pissing me off you know it's driving me crazy but like I also know that I and think I'm capable of finding a solution to this challenge um and that's where I've you know I've actually had that like internal conversation with myself a lot over the last year where it's just like you find yourself in a spot where things don't seem to be going the way you want them things you know a a system you built or invested in isn't working the way that you wanted it to. And, you know, maybe uh, other people or maybe in my past, I would have just kind of scrapped an idea or something like that and moved on. Whereas, you know, now I kind of look at it head on. I'm like, I know just based on my experiences and what I've been able to do, you know, in other areas that I'm able to solve this. So like, I can't take my eyes off it or I can't, you know, not see it through until I do because just because you have that inner belief that you're capable of it. And that motivates you more to do it. I mean, you don't want to go through life and have those easy challenges where it's softball pitches here and there. And you're like, ah, you know, it's comfortable. You don't grow, you know, you don't, you don't progress. You don't see yourself improving from one year to the other. So, I mean, those challenges, even though you don't want to face them, you're excited to face them. I agree. I agree. So, Mm Take me to, you know, you're working in China, you're living over there, you, you know, you're, you're getting used to it, you're getting your feet wet, love-hate relationship. Um, are you originally from the Bay Area where it seems like you're doing a lot of your work now and, and what brought you back to the States to, to that area to settle in? So, so I did grow up in the Bay Area, grew up in the East Bay. It was very interesting. I mean, I was in high school during the, the dot-com boom and then freshman year of college was when you know the big 
dot-com bust happened. And it was just really interesting to see the whole area change just from, you know, leaving to coming back. But my family's here. So when I was in China, uh, it was about year five. Uh, unfortunately, my, my dad passed um, and that, you know, had to wrap things up, sold my my equity in the company, meaning my co-founder had started, came back to the States about 2013 just to basically help my mom out, you know, move basically just spent the year more or less doing um, kind of side projects, helping everything, move things forward. So that's brought me back to the, to the States. But at the same time, I saw the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure, I mean, how familiar your audience is with doing business in China, but companies there, when you start something there, it's great, but at some point it slowly gets taken away from you if you're a foreigner. And, you know, I saw the writing on the wall that the company me and my co-founder had built was getting it, was moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. And there's just so many horror stories I, I'd heard and, and met people that, you know, they open up the third location, the fifth location, and suddenly this person out of nowhere has documents or this happens or that. And, and you know, I was just looking at going, okay, you know, things have been great. This has been an amazing ride. I've met some amazing people. I, I you know, I got some great friends here, everything, but as being a foreigner, nothing is truly. And even if you, you are um, a citizen there, I mean, the government owns everything. It's, it's a communist country. Mm-hmm. Everything goes up and someone above you can really dictate everything. So I just looked at going, okay, do I really want to spend my entire career, you know, life building things out with the uncertainty that they won't be mine or, you know, that I'll offend someone at a dinner or something. And next thing you know, it's gone. Or did I learn enough lessons here? Is it the right time in my life to come back to Silicon Valley and take the lessons I learned there and try to implement them here and see how far I can get. And you know, when my when my dad had passed, I'd done a lot of soul searching, did a lot of thinking, and thought, okay, it's 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 time. It's I've been overseas about eight years at that point total, and it was okay. Let's go back to the states. Let's start settling down because also I didn't want to be the 40, 40, 50 year old guy at the bar telling the twenty year olds glory, you know, all these stories without a family, without kids, without any of that. So it was okay. Let's go back to the states. This is this is a call and there's a reason, you know, let, let's let's it's time. Yeah, no, the writing on the wall, I mean, I'm sure is real. And, you know, recognizing, like you said, where you are, you know, the, the something I mean, I don't like getting presented uh, legal documents that are in English. I couldn't imagine someone you know, maybe showing up to your door with a stack of papers, you know, this high um, in a completely foreign language that basically is saying, like, hey, this is ours now. Sorry. And you have nothing, there's nothing you can do about it, right? You know, you don't really, I'm sure you were able to build some really good relationships over there, but when it comes to, you know, connections and uh, those are just less meaningful, you know, connections and and pull. Um, So, I mean, it sounds like you sold, you sold at the peak, as they would say, and got out, you know, when the time was right, Um, moved back to the Bay Area. And now, you know, so you're a guy who works in, you know, the, it seems like the technology industry, well, just based on where you are, um, you know, helping companies raise, helping companies through M&A processes. Um, but, you know, Silicon Valley is, you know, the mecca of, 
of all that, you know, tech and everything going on over there. So what, you know, specifically about living there in that tech hub, you know, with all those people, uh, influential people, you know, some just rock star entrepreneurs, some want to be rock star entrepreneurs, but what's that been like and how's that been instrumental to getting your kind of American career off the ground? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't think there's a better place to, to live in the U S I mean, I'm definitely biased, grew up here, families here, everything, but I mean, where else in the world can you go and you just go to Starbucks and someone in line is talking about a company they just sold and it's their third company. And then next to them is some Stanford professor talking about some, some, something they've developed. And then next to them is, I mean, just going to Starbucks here, you'll meet the most incredible people from around the world that are coming here to fulfill dreams, to fulfill opportunities. So I actually, I absolutely love it. I mean, just the other day, I'm talking to an entrepreneur that left Russia a year ago when the war started to come to the U.S. to try to build the company here that she had there. I talked to, you know, a person from Vietnam who it's just incredible the the people you get to meet here and what they're working on. So how's it kind of shaped my career is just, I mean, there's so many opportunities every day talking to people founding businesses, trying to sell businesses, trying to raise capital for businesses. There's never... There's never a dull moment. It never lags. Right. It right. never lags. Your inbox is, is consistently full. And and the people here, failure is, I don't want to say not an option, but when it happens, yeah, they they wipe the dust off, get up, and then they go at it again. Yep. And you'll just see people two, three, four, five. The number the number of losses, they just rack it up as I'm not even sure what to compare it to, but they still go at it and it's, it's incredible. And then on the other side of the table, you have the people that are third, fourth win of yeah. just successful companies. I was on a call last night to, two of the people, one was from a family office in Irvine looking for companies to acquire here. And the other person on the call has sold four companies that he's founded. And, and you're just in these conversations going, this is incredible. This is insane. <laughs> I I know, I know I do it for a living too, honestly, you know, making playing matchmaker between, you know, really, really high level investors and uh, people who have built just incredible businesses of all shapes and sizes. And uh, there's, it's awesome just being a fly on the wall, basically Um, listening in, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, it's funny, you know, listening to you talk about where you live and where you grow up and what you're doing within that environment. Like it's that old cliche of, you know, you're, you kind of become a you you become a, a form of like the five people the, the five people you surround yourself with the most yeah I'm not, I don't know if I'm saying that right but um yep. but it sounds like when you know when you when you live in a place like Silicon Valley and and it's almost like you become you have no real other option other than to become you know um just being surrounded by everybody and everything that's going on there at all times you know it, it it's a constant motivator it's a constant you know um it's a, it's constant fuel for whatever you're trying to work on. And so everyone's just pushing their limits at all times and raising the bar and, you know, waking up and like you said, having a full inbox of just new opportunities to work on and seeing all these great stories. And, and, and honestly, I mean, watching people fail and get up and wipe the dust off is just as inspiring as watching people win in my opinion. Oh Yeah. Cause it, it motivates, you know, it shows you like, Hey, I, it, yeah, I may have 
struck out on that at bat or I may have, you know, not, um, not done what I set out to intended to in that go around. But, you know, look at this person. They've, I've, I've watched them start and fail five times and then, but they also have two or three huge wins and, and you don't need a lot of huge wins in life to, uh, to, to satisfy the desires that you're trying to chase. Oh yeah. Oh, it's crazy here. I mean, I, so on the side, I have a podcast. I just interviewed, um, Mark Manili, the, um, founder uh, of nobody studios. He started 14 companies, three successes, a lot of failures and some kind of zombies, but those three successes, you know, he he could have retired 20 years ago. I mean, you just look at it. You're like, some of these wins are huge. Well, I guess that's also kind of the name of the Valley. It's go big or go home. I mean, you're, you're going unicorn status for the most part or, or nothing. That's a lot of the mindset as well, but you know, 14 companies over your career. That's, that's nuts. Absolutely. It's crazy. Absolutely nuts. And that's like having 14 kids. Like, it's like, how do you even manage all that? Like, how does someone actually do it? I really well, don't get it. Well, imagine 14 kids and, you know, four in jail, six of them are living at home, but then three are, you know, Stanford professors or whatever. Right, 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 right. No, it takes, I mean, it's incredible. That's, that's, a, that's a, just a, it takes a lot of confidence, takes a lot of, you know, belief in yourself and what you're trying to build. And, and then like, we talked about already, you know, like, um, the foresight to be like, ha- all right, well, I know that all of these aren't going to go the way I wanted them to, but I really only need a few of them to set me up forever. You know, not only me, but generations. Um, yeah. it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, another interesting person. I interviewed the, um, guy, uh, hacker dojo, Jonathan. And when I was talking to him, you know, it was his fourth company that, that succeeded. And I was like, weren't you kind of frustrated? He goes, I know VCs one in 10 do all the returns. So I was planning to make 10 companies in my life. And he just said that with this stare. And I was like, okay, he was a hundred percent serious. Okay. <laughs> like, That's unbelievable. It really is. It's crazy. <laughs> the mindset of some of these guys. Um, so look, you know, Talk to me a little bit, you know, before I ask my next question about what you're working on now, um, you know, give me a little bit of background on what you spend your time doing what that, you know, that full inbox, what types of opportunities are you seeing? And what are you working on every day? Mm, great question. So what I'm not doing the podcast is a lot of fun. I'm an investment banker, mergers, acquisition, growth, capital, lower mid market. I mean, we focus on transactions between 10 and 250 million, that, that size. Uh, we also do a little bit of secondaries as well, more for the location that we're in, mm-hmm. Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. What what I'm seeing, there's a lot happening right now with a lot of companies. They you know raised around a year ago, maybe 18 months ago. They're 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 needing cash to go out again, but because of how markets are, they don't want to do down rounds. No. VCs are holding out because they think, okay, we got the money. There there we got a lot of dry powder but they need to come down their valuations. Yep. So there's kind of that wait in game. The VCs, you know, they don't want to give the money back to their investors. They want to deploy it and the startups don't want to take down rounds. They don't want to give up too much equity. So it's okay. Who's going to buckle first. So those conversations are interesting. Mm-hmm. The secondary market's really interesting with so many companies having these, these lower valuations from before you have employees going, gosh, my options just aren't exciting like they were before. Yep. I'm going to branch off, start this company that I've been dreaming of, or, 
you know, maybe they're getting let off of some of these companies and going, oh, well, I was just the last three months twiddling my thumbs anyway, working on these other the side project or when they're at home during the pandemic for two, three years working on it. And now it's coming to, you know, it's getting some good traction. So there's a lot of these side hustles that are developing into real companies that I think we're going to hear about in the next year. Mm -hmm. But the secondary market, as I mentioned, you have a lot of people that you know, want, want to sell it for what they, the 409A the, or the valuation the year before, but the market's not asking or, or giving those valuations. So there's a lot, a lot of, a lot of conversations there. And then from the MMA front, we have companies that, you know, we've been in talks with for the last couple of years that wanted to get out of the, the lockdown, wanted to clean up their processes and, you know, want to go out to market. So having conversations now of, is this the right time to go out or should we wait till Q3, Q4 kind of what's on the time horizon? What are people thinking? But, you know, a lot of conversations, some, some things are moving forward. Some things are being paused a little bit, but you know, you'll hear on the news that nothing's happening, but not in the lower middle market. There's a right. ton of stuff happening. Ton of stuff happening. I agree. That's where I, that's where we play ball too. And um, so, you know, you have a maybe a client or a company, um, a founder comes to you and they want to sell or they want to raise. You know, I know a lot of the conversations are happening, but I guess at this moment in time, what's your advice for some of them? You know, if someone wants to sell their company, like you said, they. They got through the pandemic. They took some time to get their financials in order. They took some time to maybe scrap some unnecessary expenses and get more profitable. Um, is it the right time to sell? Is it is it something that people should be waiting for? I mean, I know nobody has a crystal ball, but what would you advise? You know, if I was a, a founder right now and I uh, maybe I had a ten million dollar ARR SaaS company and I'm looking at the landscape of everything, um, what would you tell me? I mean, one case by case, obviously, I mean, sure. what's, I mean, half these founders that you'll talk to that have great companies, just as the one you mentioned, you'll ask them, well, why don't you stick with it for another three or five years? And they'll go, well, you know, I've looked at it and I know this is going to be a unicorn. I have an idea for a unicorn. So I want to sell <laughs> this so I can focus my time on this new idea I have. And, and they've already checked out of this current company, which you know, boggles my mind sometimes where I'm like, just cash flow, like this is what are you doing? But it's crazy, man. You know, those conversations come up where they've already checked out of the business. So as you mentioned, perfect. They they got the wealth advisor, they figured out their financials, they've talked to their tax advisors, they depend if they took outside investment. I mean, what what's the board saying? What kind of advice are they giving to sure. this? Mm -hmm. You know, who are all the the stakeholders in it and what are their thoughts? And if it's if it's the conclusion, the consensus of, hey, it's time, well then it's time. Uh then it's okay, it, it how do we because they're gonna sell it no matter what, whether right. it's with me or with someone else. And you know, with us it's well, okay, let's help you package this. Let's find the value drivers. Well, let's actually sit down and see how you've prepared up into this point. And, you know, sometimes they're really well prepared. They have a data room built out, everything. Other times you're like, okay, we got to go back and clean some things up because we're seeing red flags and we're not even doing deep, deep due diligence. Like why, who are all these 1099s in California? They should be W2. Don't you, do you see any risk here with these people or, 
or <laughs> I mean, the list can go on and on or, Hey, let's look at your cap table. Wait, who are these? This one investor has, it looks like he's got two of the same contracts at different valuations. What, what's going on? Like just having these conversations in advance and cleaning things up. And then once it's cleaned up, I mean, the process itself takes a lot of time and people sure. aren't aware of that. You know, going out, getting the buyer's list or investor's list, creating that, the marketing materials, having the conversation. So, you know, August is a dead month. People want to close before the end of the year. So then it's time and just going, okay, this is what it, the timeline actually looks like. This is how long it'd probably take to clean up and package. Is that something we can do this year? Is this something that should be wait till next year? What are your thoughts? And really just laying it all out. And to be honest, most people unless they've gone through it, have no idea. No clue. Have no idea. Oh. No, they don't. They don't. The time horizon is something that always surprises people, right? And they, they make that switch in their head that they want to sell, you know, pretty quickly. Could like, yeah. It might even be overnight. Um, and think that, you know, all right, now we have to go. Like, I want to sell it. So yeah. what are we going to do? And it's like, well, this is going to take you know, this might take six months. Uh, and, and then that would be a pretty, that would be pretty efficient if it did. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, that's a challenge in itself. And then, you know, coming back to what you said about that, that new mindset, I feel like it's a pretty new mindset. You know, I have a pretty influential figure in my life who ran a company for, you know, 33 years doing the same thing, you know, waking up, grew it, grew it substantially, ended up having a great exit, but like, um, you know, just built, a business stuck with it wasn't the sexiest business in the world. Um, but you know, and inevitably cashed out, you know, sent four kids to college, retired, lives a great life. And like that mentality, it might just be, you know, in kind of these bigger cities where like Boston, Silicon Valley, San Fran, you know, um, New York, I don't know if it's just the mindset that's changed there, but people now build really successful, like, you know, like $10 million ARR, $20 million ARR tech companies that are basically just printing cash in some instances because it's a subscription and they want to move on. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I mean, you can, yeah, you're going to cash out and make, you know, you do great. But um, mm. the idea that like you could build it that far and not just invest back in it and build it, it's not going to be Google. So we have to stop and try to do mm. the next thing that's going to be even bigger. That just seems that just seems wild to me, but I see it all the time too. I really do. Well, I mean, what's crazy? And literally, the other day I had a conversation. A guy who's doing fifteen million revenue. Yep. You know, margins weren't 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 the best, but they're still great. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm building out this other idea. I want to sell this." And I was just like, "Why? Just use the cash flow from this to fund your your new operation. Bring in a a CEO." He's like, "Whoa, mind distraction. That's a distraction from my mind. I got to be one hundred percent focused." I was like. I, I just, I just, I was like, okay, so you realize how, how distracted you'll be with the sale of this company. You know, like, <laughs> right. like right. I was right. trying to lay it out to him, the reality of everything. And, and, you know, just saying, why not bring in a CEO? If you've already checked out, maybe your CTO or CEO is really running the other company. Let's, let's kind of do a valuation. But going back to what you said, he, he was, he's decided this is the year he's selling that company and then a hundred percent on this other venture. And, and, and then he's like, and then I got to go out and raise for this new venture. I was like, but what about the money from the sale? What about the cat? What about, 
but it was this process. <laughs> I'm in Silicon Valley. I go out to VCs. I use that money. I build a company. I do. I don't know. It's 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 interesting, man. It's interesting. <laughs> it, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. I I you know I talk about it all the time because with my business, you know what I'm doing right now. Like I mean, we're just focused on on cash flowing and you know making money and and you know maybe reinvesting it elsewhere outside of the business into other cash flowing entities and assets and um I love it but I never I never I work with a lot of companies that do the mindset that you were just talking about where they're like you know I'm going to build it to a certain point I'm going to I'm going to go out I'm going to raise I'm going to use that money to build it to a certain point and then I'm going to sell and you know I see the map but it's funny that like that they're two completely different, you know, approaches. And I always encourage people who are just getting started that maybe don't have that like Silicon Valley experience yet to, if you're going to build a business, you know, use it to make money. Um, you don't have to like, just because everyone's talking about it on Twitter, like going out and raising a series ABC and, and trying to do all this crazy stuff. Like that's not the only way to grow a business. Um, people were doing it, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years an entirely different way where it was just like, Hey, we're going to pop something up. We're going to come up with a good product or a good service and we're going to offer it. And you know, we're going to have 20, 30% margins and do really well. Um, you can still do that. <laughs> a lot of people may be oh, forgetting, yeah. they're maybe forgetting it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, some of it, I think is also cash has been so cheap over the years. I mean, right. last 10 years, it's, it's been, Whereas, you know, as right now things are tightening up and that, that, that cash flow, that revenue is so much more valuable than that, just that growth that was always emphasized in the past. And I mean, that's definitely come up in conversations of, Hey, you know, maybe slow down on the growth, pump the brakes a little bit, and let's, let's work on kind of the fundamentals, the processes, weather the storm here and, and get that, you know, those margins, get that EBITDA, let's get, let's get some of that stuff in case, you know, bad times. So less emphasize, emphasis on growth, more emphasize, emphasis on, on kind of more of these fundamentals here. And I see that shift happening a lot. It's coming up in a lot of conversations now going, hey, do you really need to go to the, the moon? Or maybe a slower growth that's more predictable might be the way to go moving forward. Yep, yep. And it's, it's funny because once you master that process, it's it becomes repeatable you know i mean you could you don't have to only start one company and run it you know i just give an example there but um once you know you know how to grow a business with good fundamentals and profitability you know you can take those same that same toolbox and apply it elsewhere and and grow another business and again none of them have to go to the moon um but if you if you do it repeatably and well i mean it's it's I, I don't know. I, I've personally always put an emphasis on that myself where it's like, let's, let's have something that, you know, from day one starts making profit and, you know, we can continue to make profit if we grow this way. Um, and then I'm, I'm always fascinated by the other people that take a different approach where it's like, Hey, I have this great idea. I'm going to need to go out and raise $20 million in order to execute it. And here's why. And a lot of them are really good at it and they can do it. And, you know, they, they see the writing on the wall and they know, exactly what the game plan is and they execute it to a T and um, it's just different founders mentalities, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But another thing, I'm not sure for your audience that once you take outside capital, the world changes. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you're, you know, it's not, you, you kind of have a boss at that point. Yeah. <laughs> 
So look, you do, you mentioned you do a podcast. Um, hmm. What was the reason for starting that? Why do you do it? You know what? Um, what's it about? And 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 why do you continue to do it? What value to get from it? Yeah. So the the podcast is called the Silicon Valley Podcast. So it was really funny. Uh, it was more. I started just kind of. So I had a public access TV show called Silicon Valley Successes where I interviewed people here in Silicon Valley and it caught on. It was in 28 cities, yep. uh, public access. But I did that more or less out of laziness because what I was doing at the time was helping a lot of companies from overseas set up operations in Silicon Valley and Silicon Valley companies set up operations in tech parks in mainland China. And I didn't want to keep doing the same introductions to lawyers, to you know, commercial real estate to accounts, all this. So instead I just was like, okay, if I create a reference library, I could just point these people to these episodes to get those initial meetings and questions out of the way. And that will do half my work for me. So that was the basis of that TV show. It caught on through that. I got introduced to the investors podcast network. Uh, they had, I was on there for six months doing a, a podcast called Silicon Valley. And then the pandemic started. It was okay. No more TV show. No one's meeting in person. We can keep doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. And so the podcast just, I kept doing it on an episode like 175 now. I just love it because of the people I get to talk to. I mean, really, some of my guests have been incredible. And I'm not going to be able to to just reach out to them and get an hour of their time. But, hey, you want to be on a podcast? Or at this point, they're all warm introductions. I'm, I'm able to sit down with some of the most amazing people, ask the questions I want, learn. And, you know, it is creating a, a reference library for people. And I really just like when I get this feedback from audience of going, hey, I listened to, you know, Brett Sharonow's episode on how to create a pro forma. And now I implement it in my company and, and it's been fantastic. Or, oh my gosh, I listened to the episode with, uh, Avram Miller, co-founder of Intel Capital, about finding ideas in graveyards. And, and, you know, now I've gone back to ideas that failed that I saw and I'm implementing one in my start. You know, it's just stuff like that. So it's it's a great, you know, relationship builder for investment banking. It's great for me finding mentors for myself just Mm -hmm. to get this knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's just a way it opens up so many doors that unless I mean, Joe, you've had a podcast. I think, you know, it just opens up so many doors that I don't think people realize unless they, unless they've had a podcast that, you know, has gone past those first few episodes, they've actually built it out. It's, it's incredible. No one says no to being on a podcast. (laughs) They don't know you. I mean, you literally said my answer for me, you know, it's the same answer I would have had, um, until I started doing it and I didn't realize that, but you, you know, you don't have to build this thing that becomes the Joe Rogan experience, you know, and has millions of, of followers and listeners. It's a fantastic way to get to know somebody and talk to somebody and meet somebody. And, you know, I, I say this line too, sometimes, which I think is powerful. Like me and you do a lot of podcasts, you know, you've done over, like you said, 175 ish. Um, I've done plenty in my day, you know, um, probably upwards of 200 between a couple different shows. And that's great. But for the guest, they, you, you're one of maybe one, one of two, yep. one of three podcasts that they've ever done. So it's like you share that with them, um, you share a bond with them in in that way that you, they don't share with many other people, if not anybody else. So you get to know them that way. They don't say no one says no because they like 
they love to make content. They like to talk about what they're doing. Um, it's cool. I mean, I've, I've, I'm sure you have, you're on one right now. I've been on other people's shows too. And it's, it's fun. You know, it's a good way to just stop doing, you know, the, the kind of monotony of every day and get on and talk about other things. Um, but people love to cop on and, and I've noticed it too, where it's, if I sent this person a, Hey, this is what I do. This is who I am. Want to grab lunch or want to grab a 20 minute zoom that would have just gone into the abyss. But because I asked them to be on a show they're they're amped up to talk to me. Um, and it's like, I would have never gotten that opportunity if I didn't create this, this vehicle of being able to get in front of them. I've met, met and done business with, um, a lot of people just from having that, having that tool. Um, so it's, I think we we're completely aligned in how we view it and, and what we use it for. And, mm. um, you know, I, I, I like talking about it because I think other people should consider doing it. Um, especially if they're in, you know, similar, I guess, industry and business that we are where it's, you know, it's, it's transactional. It's about building a network. It's about building really strong relationships. And this is a great way to get in the door. Yeah. And, and not only that, it's for your eyes as well they'll introduce you to their network, right? It's, it's incredible. The, the warm intros, like, Hey, I have a friend. Would you like to interview him as well? And you're like, yeah, yeah. send <laughs> right, him over. Right. Right. <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. And you think about that, like, not that you do, um, I'm sure you probably don't do business with every single person you talk to. And that's mm-hmm. not, again, that's not the intention. Um, but it would almost be like, you know, you have a, a customer or a client and they're like, Hey, I like using this, like I'm going to tell everybody else about it, you know, and, and they just go tell other, you know, people or companies that are doing even bigger and you know, doing what they're doing even on a bigger level. And I know it's amazing. It's amazing. And, yeah. and there's a like built in. And again, I've, this is just things I've thought about and it, it's not like the intention um, by any means, but there's kind of like that, you know, built in reciprocity where it's like, Hey, I mm-hmm. had you on, so if you go back to that person and ask, hey, you know, I saw you're connected with so-and-so, um, you think they'd want to do the show? It's like, perfect. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm happy to make an intro, you know, and <laughs> it's just, it's crazy how it works. Mm. So last question for you, Sean, uh, before I let you go, you know, it's a very simple kind of just funny gimmicky question, but at the end of the day, <laughs> I like knowing about it. You know, um, what's the best thing, you know, that you've bought recently for, for under a hundred bucks, you know, a tool that maybe, uh use every day or just it could be yeah, i mean it, it was about a year ago I, hopefully that's recent enough I, yeah. I thought of that right now i bought a used ipad really yeah i i, I um i wanted to go on clubhouse this was literally i bought in the next day <laughs> the android version came out and i was like are you kidding me but um i i'd waited so long i was like everyone's on clubhouse okay i'll, I'll you know buy this ipad and i I I don't want to say I'm anti Apple products, but I you know probably going to get hate mail for this, but <laughs> yeah you know, I I just I just think you put a logo and then you up you know up the prices, but so I, I've always pushed against it. So I found it a used iPad on eBay. I wasn't even sure if it would work. You know it, it was the oldest or the the what was it the 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 last version that would work for clubhouse got it for like $89. You know, it's slow, whatever, but now I'm re- reading Kindle, you know, Kindle books at the, um, at the gym. <laughs> I'm 
reading stuff while I'm falling asleep. I'm using that thing every day now. It's crazy. So maybe now I'm a, an Apple fan. Maybe they they you know they won me over with this. But that iPad, Jesus. I mean, I'm using it every day. It's it's the greatest thing, and and the knowledge. And I've had a couple of guests that you know, I've written books and they'll go, oh, I'll give you a PDF of my book. Here you go. And I'm just sitting reading it on the iPad and it's great. <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. It's great that it, you know, it showed up in a box and actually worked like you said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is Clubhouse still a thing? I, you know, I honestly haven't really been on it. I, I, I got an invite this morning from a, a group that I used to go on in quite a bit, uh, the, uh, the mentoring club uh-huh. that said, hey, Liesl's holding a room right now. You want to jump on and I was like, oh man, I haven't, I haven't been on Clubhouse in a couple months. I wonder if it's, is it still valued at whatever billions of dollars like it was? <laughs> I haven't, I haven't heard that name since like, you know, early 2021, I feel like, um, <laughs> just not something I ever really got into, but I, I can see, see the value in it, but that's funny. That's good. And that's a good answer. Really, honestly, it's, it's something that you use every day. I mean, it's amazing. I, I'm not really like a, um material guy myself most of the stuff that i do use every day and actually value is you know cheap kind of whatever stuff um, like yeah. the only thing i truly like even care about that costs a little bit of money is my golf clubs and i keep those pristine but everything else is just like whatever <laughs> oh, nice. yeah my uh we had some rain here and i went in the garage and noticed, noticed there was mold growing on the golf bag so that that shows how uh, how often i take those out <laughs> you got to get back into it man yeah. Uh, well, look, this has been great. I really appreciate you coming on here and, you know, sharing your background, sharing what you're working on now, giving a little bit of insight into the, you know, the market right now in early 2023. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, talking a little bit more off air and, and, and getting to know each other a little bit more. But I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing uh, everything with us, Sean. It's been awesome. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Take care, man. <laughs>